Before we begin, we wanted to issue a content warning for this week's episode. There is a frank discussion of sexual violence, assault, and trauma that some may find disturbing. Welcome to Fright School. Are you ready? Class is in session. Welcome back to Fright School. Hello, Joe. Hello, Joshua. Oh my gosh, we are so excited because it's been so long since we've been here together with our um, awesome final girl, uh, Ashley, is in the house. Yay! Hello! Oh my gosh, I'm back in school again! Yeah, it's been forever since we've seen you. You know, we were supposed to, you know, do more cons and do more stuff. And, you know, it's so just so many cons been, planned. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, they're going to be coming back, hopefully, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> it's like they're like, oh, things are getting better. And then it's like, oh, cases are up 11% everywhere. Oh, there's a new strain. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Here's five new strains. Uh, so right. watch out. But, um, you know, we're at least happy to be here today, uh, you know, with you, get to see your face and, uh, you know, hang out for a bit. So uh, how's everybody Yay. doing, Joe? How are you? How was your week? It was fine. <laughs> it was fine. I have um, when this episode gets released, um, my birthday will be in two days. Oh, so that'll be, I mean, you know, are we having like a big maskless indoor blowout? No, <laughs> we're not yeah. even having, <laughs> we're not even having the opposite of that. I, it, it'll just be, it'll just be nice to like actually be able to do more than what I felt like we could do last year. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, that'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah, you can at least see, you know, some family or, you know. Yeah, I'll be able to see some people who are um, fully vaccinated and then everyone who isn't um, can send. I'll drop my, you know, Venmo in the... <laughs> you can send... description. Exactly. I, I, I love Harry and David. So if you want to send me some pears and apples from from <laughs> Harry and David, you can. Wow, um, she's getting fancy. I know. I know. <laughs> I know yeah. there's a song. You're so fancy. Oh, there's also yeah. Reba. <laughs> I was gonna say, I was like, are you calling me a child prostitute? <laughs> gonna turn you out, Joe. Gonna make some money. <laughs> gonna make oh some money off of you. <laughs> Don't let me down. Um <laughs> Ashley, how was your week? Um, great. <laughs> Um, I just want to say we, if the Padres are going to lose, they should do it in nine innings, um, because I'm working at the stadium for the season. Wow. Yeah. That sounds like a long ass day. (laughs) 
Yay, sports. Sports are back, kind of. Um, stadium's still at lower capacity, so we're not fully back, but uh, the fans are very grateful to have live baseball again in some capacity. Right. But uh, that's a new job for me, so uh, I'm very nervous, and my brain is all-consuming and all this training material, and that's where I'm at. Is the, the part that you work at, is it indoors or outdoors? Um, it's both. We have a full uh, restaurant okay. and an in-seat service. So oh, okay. um, look for me behind home plate <laughs> on the cameras. <laughs> I might be running around. <laughs> it's like, I'll be the spooky tall blonde. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'll be the only person Scary. wearing a wide brim hat. <laughs> <laughs> carrying crystals exactly King. It's, it's like you know <laughs> maybe we just exactly saging out. home plate that'd be great <laughs> just, witchiness sports <laughs> you know uh, f- oddly enough when the the year that the new orleans saints won the super bowl prior to them uh playing in this in the stadium that they were in they hired a voodoo priestess uh to um basically you know kind of like smudge and bless the stadium and then they won (laughs) so um it's not outside of the realm of possibility (laughs) yeah that's awesome i did not know that fun fact there's a there's a cool um i have to find it I'm gonna have to send you the the link because there's a link where they their woman who who did all of that um, the priestess she she like told her story of like how she came up and you know how she eventually got that job to be the official um, <laughs> the official mystic of uh, New Orleans Saints. Well, that is career goals if I ever heard of them. Yeah, <laughs> that would be awesome. That's like manifesting your, you know, <laughs> your yeah. life right there. <laughs> A literal secret. We'll yeah. You heard it here fo- first, folks. You can be anything you want to be, apparently. Uh, just <laughs> keep uh, working at it. Just work hard enough. Um <laughs> Oh Lord. I um what did I do this week? <sighs> Lots of schoolwork. But also um we sat down and watched for the first time, well, me at least, Jeffrey had seen it before. Uh, but the 1984 version of Dune with uh Kyle McLaughlin. I can see you're all <laughs> so excited by this. <laughs> it's what? Um, no, we, uh, cause they, they, you know, the book Dune by Frank Herbert, I think is the name, um, you know, Jeffrey's like a fan of that and he had seen the movie and they're, they readapted it with, um, little Chalamet, call me by your name. Right. Is that him? Mm-hmm. I've not Timothy seen that Chalamet. movie. Yeah. Timothy Chalamet's in it. And, uh, Jason Momoa, who I am familiar with his his work. Um, (laughs) I do know he's in it as well. Yes. His work. Um, That's what I call his uh, back side. um, His work. Uh, (laughs) That's where it's most evident. Um, No. Um, 
but yeah, so he's in, in in this like readaptation. So we thought it'd be fun to sit and watch the original '84 version. But since neither of you like jumped at like, oh yeah, I've seen that, then I guess there's nothing really to, further to discuss. It was quite a, it was quite a, quite a film. <laughs> And I'm sure some of our listeners will know what I'm talking about. Um, so, so that was exciting uh, to actually sit down and, you know, try to watch this sci-fi classic in quotes. Uh, you read Dune Taylor. before? I haven't. I actually have a copy coming. We're going to reread it. Like he wants to reread it as well. And we didn't have, we didn't actually own a copy of it. I was kind of shocked. So I found a, a, a copy and we're going to reread. He's going to reread it and I'm going to read it fully for the first time. I've tried in the past, but we'll see. You know, we're going to try. <laughs> <laughs> Before the new, I think the new uh, adaptation comes out in October now. I think it keeps mm. getting pushed back. So it was supposed, I think it's supposed to come to HBO Max, but maybe now it won't, but maybe it will, but maybe it won't. I don't know. It's like a whole big thing they you know all of that the drama of all of that uh any movies or television shows we caught up on this week that we enjoyed no no (laughs) (laughs) i mean everything it's all old stuff right joe's been on his uh you know travels in in the 90s or the early 2000s or wherever you're at now and you're catching up on um old shit <laughs> mm-hmm. i'm actually working through um fresh off the boat <laughs> oh okay that's <laughs> new right that's it only is a couple new. years it's funny because um in fresh off the boat just uh jessica huang uh who is played by constance Wu, she has this she has like a book club with her and her neighbor best friend where all they read is stephen king <laughs> oh <laughs> So like she's like you know did you read <laughs> so like every every episode they're like reading a new Stephen King book so that's actually been really fun um, to kind of live vicariously. There's a moment where um, <laughs> there's a moment where uh, she is like she's in the middle of quoting Dolores Claiborne like a line from Dolores Claiborne and then her neighbor finishes the line with her and that's how they become best friends. So. <laughs> All right, well, that's cool, huh? Maybe I have to watch uh, that Fun now. That you, you pick up on the references now that you guys have been through your Stephen King uh, boot camp. Boot camp is the uh, is the accurate term for that. Yes, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I pick up a little bit. I, I pick up a lot now. I'm like, okay, I, now I realize that like it was like you know Stephen King has been a phenomenon, but like the '90s were like peak. Mm-hmm. peak Stephen King. Um, I was actually thinking about Ashley earlier this week because um, HBO Max released a teaser image of the Friends reunion. <laughs> um, and Ashley and I uh, used to compete. Um, we're, you know, we're regionally <laughs> ranked um, <laughs> uh, Friends <laughs> trivia uh, aficionados. So regionally ranked yeah. <laughs> wow that is professional we have sponsors yes we have sponsors um hashtag ad <laughs> <laughs> we hashtag ad everything <laughs> that's amazing sponsored by coffee and uh, wine yes <laughs> right <laughs> yeah coffee and fantastic sam's <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> where you can get a Rachel. Oh, <laughs> should you want that? That's that's and that thus ends like my friend's trivia. I, I know about the haircut yeah. and I know oh and the smelly cat because I do enjoy Lisa Kudrow uh, very much. Oh, actually, I saw a movie with her this week I'd never seen before from the '90s. It was called Clock Watchers. Have you ever seen this? It's got Parker Posey, yeah. Tony Collette. Um, Alana Ubach, is that her name? She was in Sister Act 2, Joe. Mm-hmm. She sings The Love Boat. Mm-hmm. Um, she was in it. And then and uh, Lisa Kudrow, and they play like temps working at like a credit global credit. It was kind of like office space in a way, but with an all-woman cast. And oh. it was pretty funny. It was enjoyable. Uh, so... Not exactly. I mean, not the same stories off space, but working at like, you know, you know, this kind of... Yeah, I feel like I've seen. I feel like I've seen a movie like that as well, but it was like gay porn. Oh, that's a, di- that's right. a different kind of watcher. Um. Right. <laughs> yeah, and a, you only see the first watcher. five minutes of it. So yeah, you know, you just watch five minutes of it, and then you stop watching. Turn it off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hide under. Hide that under your bed. Uh, oh, Joe, that's wonderful. But yeah, no, I know shit about Friends. Uh, Cody, my brother, his wife is like a big fan of Friends. Um, so, you know, because she likes white people. <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> no, I'm. that's terrible. I shouldn't say that. Well, there famously have been two black female love interests on Friends. <laughs> Well, as I say that now, I'm running through them all in my brain to see if there's been more. But the no, two of it's, them. <laughs> it's it's just the two of them. Mm-hmm. Well, call up the United Colors of Benetton, you know. <laughs> uh, but no, she is. She's a big fan of Friends. And so I always just it's funny when she posts about it because I'm like, I have no idea. I know there was a Sphinx cat on the show at one time because obviously because of the cats. I do know that. That's something else I know. But I don't think I've ever seen like a full episode of Friends. So I'm I'm incomplete, I guess. I'm not uh, I'm not a person. It's like what, what a sad life you live. <laughs> So what you're saying is, is that you're consenting to me and Ashley, like clockwork oranging you in your room, in your house, right? Keeping your eyelids open. Keeping them open. (laughs) Um, You really want me watching that show with you. Don't you think I will ruin it by just (laughs) critiquing the shit out of it? The show does not hold up very well. No, I mean, that's the thing. That's what I hear. It doesn't hold up. So it actually would make, it wouldn't, it would, it further my enjoyment of it, like. Because to just watch you be like, this is bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) That is too funny. Yeah, I don't know. I do like seeing, uh, you know, Courtney Cox in the Scream movies. So, Mm -hmm. hey, there's that. There's like an adjacent there, you know. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) All right. You know, enough, enough of this. Uh, This. (laughs) ridiculousness <laughs> um let's take a, a quick break and we are going to um discuss i'm so excited about this brand new uh for this year or well 2020 i guess but it feel everything feels like it just came out um means nothing yeah time it's irrelevant uh but uh yeah promising young woman we'll be right back 
Meanwhile, in New Jersey... So, Marissa, what talking points do you want to hit on in this week's episode? Well, Jackie, let's talk about how the film addresses the patriarchy. Ooh, and representation of marginalized people. Ooh, ooh, and even philosophical ramifications of good versus evil and We can point out the triangle boobs, talk about the blood splatter, and oh, the practical effects. (sighs) Um, and also the male gaze? My gaze at the males. Hi-oh! From feminism to fangirling, the Jersey Ghouls cover all the bases of horror from a woman's perspective. New episodes are uploaded every other Sunday. Just search Jersey Ghouls to find us on social media and your favorite podcasting app. All right, welcome back. So, yes, we are um, kind of continuing our ongoing conversation about, you know, sort of Little Red Riding Hood within the context of the horror film. This is a, you know, a little kind of using some of those themes, but we'll get to that. So this is Promising Young Woman, 2020. Um, This has got everybody. We got Carrie Mulligan, Bo Burnham, Allison Brie, Clancy Brown, Jennifer Coolidge, Laverne Cox, Connie Britton, a whole bunch of other, Adam Brody, right? That's his name. Mm -hmm. He's in it for a second. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lots of people that, you know, you'd recognize. Uh, Written and directed by Emerald Fennell, who I know from The Crown, she plays Camilla Parker Bowles on The Crown, um, and produced by Margot Robbie via her Lucky Chap Entertainment. So, like, wow, this movie's wow. got, this movie's got it all. <laughs> um, you know, so we've got, uh, like I said, Carrie Mulligan playing Cassie, a uh, 30-year-old medical school dropout who spends her evenings pretending to be drunk in clubs and getting men to take her back to their places where of course they do terrible men things because Mm -hmm. of course they do. Uh, At which point she reveals she's actually sober and that they're a piece of shit. And then uh, that's, yeah. So that's the, that's, that's the film in a nutshell. (laughs) And then other things happen. So Joe, let's start as always with your thoughts. Um, I can't, first of all, listener, I can't stress enough that like, I, I plan to spoil the shit out of this movie. So if you haven't seen it, stop listening, pause this and go listen, go find it, <laughs> go find Promising a Woman and then start again. Cause I, that's actually literally what I did. Cause like I, the podcast that I listened to, they said, we're about to spoil Promising Young Woman. I literally paused it. I waited two days, watched it with James and then went back and finished it. So I can't stress it enough. Um, Loved, loved, loved this movie. And I think I've been trying, it's been, it's been a couple months since I watched it. So I've been trying to feel like, you know, did I love it because it like shocked me? Like why, where's my love from it come from? And I think it was because I was legitimately, I had no idea what was happening and I had no idea where we were going. And it was just that kind of like that suspense, that edging of it the entire time of like, what is going, what is going to happen to all of these people and to Cassie and everything. So, um, and then by the end of it, it was just like, I felt like I had like an orgasm, like <laughs> not like in my body, but just like that satisfaction of like, huh, this is what, you know, that as you do, well, like when something happens, uh, um, that release. So there was this definitely this emotional release at the end. Um, 
and there were just so many different layers and it was awesome because I like I watched it with James and he knows like you know you guys have seen me when I watch movies sometimes I like you know I get when I feel like something is about to happen I put my shirt over my mouth and all that stuff and so it's <laughs> it's yes I miss those looks I miss like so playing movies to shock you to you know ah that noise yeah. you make ah Ah, and and that literally and is what happened. Yeah. <laughs> when we hold each other's hand, <laughs> we squeeze when each I other's hand. Into your arms as the credits roll. <laughs> oh my gosh! Um, that wasn't traumatizing at all. Uh, <laughs> so so like with this, and also because like because and then like knowing like 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 it, just so many different things about it but like i love this film it is definitely like it's definitely worth an oscar nomination i have heard a lot of the like negative stuff that people are saying about it and we can get into that later but like for me i was like this is this is great this is this is a really um really great and really interesting way to tell the story so yeah, 100%. 100% would watch. We'll probably watch it later today, to be honest. Because I, as of recording this, I think the Oscars are tomorrow. So um, yeah. Gosh, are they? I have no idea. I'm yeah. so out of the loop, yeah. I, I know. It's like no one cares. Like Oscar viewership well, has... art time of the month, like, <laughs> hype up for it. <laughs> I know, I know. It's, and we're, you know, now it's just like... Yeah. And if I didn't have our time of the month, I probably would have never watched any of those, uh, (laughs) all those uh, award shows and stuff. But yeah, but yeah, on that note, really quickly. So for the Academy Awards, it is nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay. That both goes to Emerald Fennel, which is amazing for a first time. This is like Mm -hmm. her first project uh in this in this realm best actress for carrie mulligan and best film editing for frederick toraval uh so yeah just to throw that in there i mean among others what uh she let's see what else didn't it have some golden globes somewhere it may have same uh best motion picture best actress best director best screenplay all nominated they didn't win any of those awards um which is unfortunate Unless, has that happened? Yeah, February 28th. So that's already happened. Yeah, I'm very bad with awards season. Um, <laughs> seasons. It's, it always seems like some award show is happening. I can't yeah. keep up. Um, Ashley, your thoughts on a Promising Young Woman from a Promising Young Woman. <laughs> oh, thanks, guys. Um, I definitely enjoyed this movie as well. Um, I've seen it twice now. I started off my new year by watching it on January 2nd. Um, wow. <laughs> and I think, year, I, text- new you. <laughs> yeah, I think I texted you guys and I was like, just a heads up. I'm watching <laughs> promising young woman and it's triggering. <laughs> <laughs> so when you, so I kept that in mind the entire time I watched it, I kept that yeah. text and that message from you in mind <laughs> the entire time. And then once I got to the end, I was like, Holy, I was like, that was an understatement, but also very true. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I was like, and you guys are like, okay, well, let us know if you need to talk or anything. Afterwards. <laughs> I was like, here's my thing. I knew what the premise was going in. So I'm prepared for all my triggers. I consent to, to be aware of that going into the movie. I'm hoping for revenge fantasy of the year. Um, and I think we kind of get that. Uh, it's a twist on the revenge fantasy though, which I found really refreshing. Um, and then afterwards I was just like, it was good. 
I will need a moment to unpack my feelings. <laughs> um, it just starts off really intense. And um, there's a moment where it's very bleak, uh, where you're almost thinking that nobody, that the heroine isn't going to get her revenge. Um, but then, you know, the twist happens and it is satisfying ultimately um, that they threw that in, in the last few minutes. And I wonder if that was always written that way, or if it was kind of upon review, we can't end the film on that note. Mm -hmm. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Yeah. Yeah. So um, Fennel said that her, her original script. So just to give a quick rundown of the, of the, of the film. So Cassie, like we said, she's a med student. She dropped out of med school along with her friend, Nina, who was the, um, victim of a rape that was filmed and viewed you know like the the video was spread all through their medical student class uh, a bunch of men were present witnessed it didn't do anything um you know so she and uh, nina drop out of school and nina eventually because of the aftermath of like you know trying to um get justice obviously she does not get justice like so many women in our in our uh culture in our world um mm -hmm. so she the system yeah so she ends her own life and leaving cassie you know grief stricken and kind of bent on doing this sort of revenge thing where she you know gets men to take her home thinking that they're drunk thinking that she's drunk and that they're going to take advantage of her and then kind of telling you know turning the tables on them and telling them you know that they're, they're garbage. So that's kind of the movie as it goes along. She meets a nice guy. She thinks her life is going to be okay. Well, guess what? He was also there and part of this whole thing. He was a, a student as well at the, at the school at the time who was successful, went on, became a doctor. And, uh, and is still good <laughs> friends with the perpetrators. With the perpetrator who is now getting married and he's going to get his happily ever after. But Cassie decides that, you know, she, uh, infiltrates his bachelor party. Yeah. Yep. Infiltrates the bachelor party, uh, drugs all the the guys, uh, gets Al. That's uh, who is played by. What's his name? He was he's in Glow. He plays um, Bash in Glow. I mean Chris Lowell. Is that his name? Okay, mm -hmm. thank you. Uh, anyways, well, unfortunately, twist. He kills her, smothers <laughs> her to death, burns her body with a friend, and goes on to think that he's going to have a happy life. But she had already set it up to protect herself, and so the um cops come and arrest him at his wedding for her murder and uh in a way also justice for nina so that's real quick the rundown of of the of the film uh so spoiled all to hell and back so talking so um to answer your question uh what i found was uh where is it there was a comment from i knew i should have highlighted these things right <laughs> <laughs> um no matter so fennel I try to prepare my notes they always <laughs> fall apart in recording <laughs> yeah so fennel had planned to end the film with her being burned and that was it and then mm -hmm. you know they that that was the end of the film okay. and things would just go on from there but the um it says here via wikipedia so take it as you know entities funding her film balked at having a negative ending. Uh, so she considered an ending where Cassie appears at the wedding and kills responsible men, but deemed it unrealistic. Mm. So she decided to have the ending where Cassie has a backup planned revenge as she felt Cassie would be thorough in her planning and she would be aware she could die in her final mission. 
And additionally, Fennel stated that having Al apprehended at his wedding would reflect Cassie's sense of humor, which is why she plans that event. Um, yeah, so that would have been pretty bleak, maybe realistic to some extent, but you know, when we're talking about um, a rape revenge film, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you really do want to have some sense of closure and, you know, to kind of travel through this film with her and, and the, the difficulty that journey is, I, I think it's, I, I'm happy that the ending happened. It was completely unexpected. I did not expect her to be murdered <laughs> along the way. Um, that was kind of shocking. Yeah. I found it interesting that in all her other tactics of, um, trying to get people to repent or apologize for their part in the system um, that the she never used violence up until that moment. She only used psychological torture basically. Um, and the moment she pulls out a knife, she is overpowered by a stronger man than she is. She's a, you know, a promising young woman. She's a petite <laughs> posing as a stripper. Um, so of course he overpowers her the moment that she decided to become violent about it. So I thought that was really interesting that that's how yeah. she met her demise. If yeah, she no, that's kept a great doing point. the psychological thing. Maybe she wouldn't have perished. Who knows? Yeah. Um, yeah. Who knows? And again, maybe that's, it's sort of a, a comment on women, you know, on when women do choose to, you know, use violence. Cause they've mm-hmm. tried, talking they've tried running away they've tried using the law so of course they eventually shoot the guy and what happens they go to prison right you know or they are you know sentenced so it's it is it is kind of a um over i think the film had a lot of moments that were this such a specific comment on a massive like global problem you know and so there are many ways that that the film i think is analyzing that um i was surprised because again i mean this is sort of uh, like an existential horror film you know it's not horror in like the the general sense of like a lot of the films we do but it is a horrifying film when you think Mm -hmm. about how many women are out there that this is their story Mm -hmm. um and you know so I fully expected that she was killing people or like doing like the, um, what is it, the girl uh, with the dragon tattoo, like the, you know, like carving something in them or doing something violent because especially right at the beginning of the film, after she leaves Adam Brody yeah. and she's like walking through and it looks like she's got like blood all over her. And then it turns yeah. out to be like a jelly donut or something. I, I'm not exactly <laughs> sure what she was eating, but I was like, Oh shit, what did she do? You know? So then I was kind of wondering you know, what is she doing to them? But then it was like, just like scaring them. Like we see later where she tells the guy, like, I'm not the only one doing this. And then another woman might, you know, have a pair of scissors, <laughs> you know, so yeah. she's just planting in their brains that they're in danger. You know, she's like s- switching the tables on them a little bit, but I was surprised. I thought there was going to be murder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at her hands. Well, at at least her hands. Of, yes. At her hands, at least something, you know, carving, you know, on their face or writing like a name on them. Like, you know, she's trying to do at the end to Al. So I thought it was interesting that in the end, she was not committing a violent act. You know, she was more of just like trying to shock them with something. And like just forcing them to admit their part in it. Right. Um, Look in the mirror at what you're responsible for. And if this happened to somebody that you cared about, 
like it does in, I think, the second act with Connie Brighton's uh, character. Yeah, that was intense. How would you be, how would you react if this was somebody that you actually knew and not just another statistic in your school? Um, right. Where you're, you're forced to believe the, the promising young man over the girl. Right. Um, I was just thinking while we were talking about this that my first episode on Fright School was American Mary. So yeah. <laughs> comparing these two films where the inciting in- incident is a sexual assault and they decide to take back their power. And for Cassie's character in this film, she's doing it on behalf of somebody who's no longer with us. Um, the way that they both went about it was similar but different. Um, and they both met their demise at the end. So yeah. it's like, no, no matter what, are we ever going to win if we are trying to fight this system? Right mm-hmm. there. Yeah. That's a great echo back to American Mary and how these, yeah, these films are kind of related in that way. Mm-hmm. I also think it's interesting, like the, you know, the title, like promising young woman again, um, when you're talking about, cause um, Cassie says at some point, that she and Nina were like the top of the class. Like they would have been, you know, summa magma, you know, whatever yeah. you know, they, they would have been the top. So they were p- these promising young women whose entire lives were derailed by this act, you know, yeah. that who they would have been, who they would have become was murdered. You know, like that's like, that is what, like th- th- there's a death in that, you know, this is, mm-hmm. this is the kind of violent, crime that sexual assault is that rape is that this sort of violence is is that it is a murder in a way of who that person would have been otherwise um and so you think like two women's lives were just radically altered and one chose to end hers and another is just living in this you know echo of the past you know and not not being yeah she cannot move on um And I just was thinking about that, how like, yeah, it's so often it is like, you know, you're going to ruin this man's future and we're not concerned with all the futures possible for women either. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, Mm -hmm. that's not the concern, you know, that like her life now, two incredible doctors Mm -hmm. could have existed and helped who knows how many people done, who knows what with their lives um, be completely derailed, be completely, Mm -hmm. you know, um, yeah, I want to recommend um, a book that I'm reading. Well, I'm actually listening to it right now, purposely because I wanted to hear this story in this person's own voice. And she does do the audible book. Um, it's Know My Name by Chanel Miller. She is also known as Emily Doe in the Brock Turner Stanford Sexual Assault. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's she talks about the same thing. Like we focused so much on how this young man's life is being derailed, but where's, where's my future? Does anybody care? Right. Because I'm Emily Doe. It doesn't matter to you. Yeah. Oh, that sounds, that sounds powerful. Yeah. I will write that down in the show notes. Yeah. Um, It's incredible, Um, but take your time with it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I I heard that. um, uh, Ashley, are you finished with the book? Not, not quite yet. Okay. Um, I, I heard that there, she does something very important powerful at the end i don't want to i don't want to spoil it because yeah um okay. y- but yeah so yeah well, don't spoil it Jeff. Has homework, so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um i also love like so right at the beginning too the conversation between the men is so fucking 
gross and annoying and, and like infuriating because they're like talking about how this woman colleague of theirs isn't like allowed to go golfing because they don't let women golf at this place. Um, which means that she's kept out of, you know, networking that happens, mm-hmm. in, you know, that way, the deals that get made on the golf course, this is just part of like, you know, that the, the culture of like a business. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that it's still like the, even though she is being like, they are purposefully denying her space at the table. It's still her fault if she doesn't do her job as well as they do. And I just thought that was so fucked up because I think of all the ways that like, that's just that one example of how, we create these systems and then blame people for not being able to successfully navigate them. When we've also decided to purposely keep you out, mm-hmm. you know? So we, and we say that all the time, obviously with a conversation about like systemic racism, you know, systemic misogyny, mm-hmm. where it's like, well, you know, uh, capitalism, obviously, you know, if you don't have money, you cannot succeed in this system. Um, but it's also your fault that you don't have, can't get wealth. <laughs> like, you know, so it's just really like that whole first part i'm like oh my gosh they're there this is already fantastic commentary and the movie's only been on for like two minutes right. <laughs> like just this this protection this gatekeeping that happens um you know and how it, it it does so much damage but they don't even see that like they even admitting like well women aren't allowed to come to this place so whatever it's still her fault like they don't even see <laughs> the you know mm-hmm. the ridiculousness of that of that statement and not only that, but then once uh, we start to get to know some of these uh, male characters that are uh, taking her home, um, they identify as nice guys and they don't right. think that there's anything wrong with um, getting this drunk girl home safely to their house <laughs> where they're provided with more drinks and drugs and um you know, touchy feely things happen, but they're really nice. I was looking out for you. You never would have made it home by yourself. Right. Um, I was doing the the reputable thing by taking one for the team and taking this drunk girl with me. No, like, yeah, even the beginning. Why are you so entitled to to rescue me if you're not really going to rescue me? Yeah. Right. Even the beginning with Adam Brody, where it looked like that whole exchange with him, it's just like, you're, is he like he maybe he's maybe he is a good person right it's like hey you should like the way he is at the at the bar is different from once he gets her home and then he starts like making out with her and all this stuff and so and and on that and on that note ashley specifically it's like the actors that they got to that they cast for those particular for all of those particular roles were just like brilliant because like you cast yeah. adam brody who is you know famous playing Seth Cohen in the OC and being kind of like this nice guy character. You have Sam Richardson, who um, is the guy outside the bar that she gets caught with. Um, and he was on Veep as like Richard, mm-hmm. who's just this total nice guy. Like you, you just have already programmed him. You know? Exactly. You have him, you have Christopher Mintz Plus, who plays uh, McLovin from Superbad. Um, and even mm-hmm. like the two big, and like even if the big three of the film, which are Bo Burnham, who, you know, who I was, I don't know. I don't think he got a nomination for supporting actor, but he should have, because I thought that Bo Burnham was like very good in this. Yeah. Um, but like the two guys who, who um, 
Um, Al and then Al's friend, his douchebag friend, are played by Chris Lowell and Max Greenfield, who both were in Veronica Mars. Like this has a very, this has a very odds sensibility. This is also why I think um, friend of the pods, Hem Weinman, loves this film is because it has like this very odds sensibility. The casting, like Max Greenfield, who plays. Um, who plays uh, a friend of Veronica Mars's, who's like this nice guy cop figure. And then Chris Lowell, who actually also played like a boyfriend of Veronica Mars as well. And you see these two guys like, you know, who are supposed to be nice guys and they end up being like the two biggest villains in this entire thing. And I thought that that was such like, I, at a certain point, when I realized that it was those two at the end, I was like, okay, the casting is so intentional. Exactly. Yeah. So intentional about mm. the who they get. Cause like you can get like a nice, like real classically handsome, suave guy to come in, but it was a commentary on like, no, it's these guys who, you know, on the surface look like, like Carrie Mulligan is out of their league. <laughs> right. Mm. Um, yeah. And and it's like they're it's it's those guys who are the guys who are like you need to watch out for. Well, because um, they're, they're taking advantage of a vulnerable situation. They see that that's their in uh, to get laid, um, mm-hmm. even though it's a gross way to go about it. But even uh, I want to comment on the female casting there too, with Alison Brie and Connie Brighton. Like their uh, repertoire is also like they're very beloved characters. Connie Brighton's always like very motherly and loving. And then she goes in there and uh, as the Dean and is like, I'm forced to take the guy's side because why would it's a, he said, she said, I have right. to, I'm part, I'm part of that. Um, so she like, they are also extremely culpable in this system because they want to um, with Alison Brie, she wants to be in with the cool crowd with the popular people um, that she's, she saw the tape. She had the recording this whole time and didn't share it. She didn't admit to it or didn't report it because she didn't want to be ousted by these popular people in school. Um, and that she's also getting drunk and getting wasted at the restaurant and saying, don't get blackout drunk all the time. And then get mad when you sleep with somebody that you didn't want to like, it was just like such juxtaposition from like the characters that we know them to play to be mm-hmm. um, very brutally honest about how they are part of a system that's been established for them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. One of my notes was like um, this, the they're hitting on like such like so many of the parts of this conversation of like how patriarchy and misogyny are upheld and reinforced by of course men, Mm -hmm. but also women and how women play their roles and how either they're because they feel forced by those patriarchal standards or again, Mm -hmm. you know, gaining privilege by proxy, you know, so being a woman siding with the, the men and, you know, further, you know, keeping her job as Dean or her power structure in place. Mm-hmm. Um, Allison Bree's character. Um, what's her name again? It starts with an M, right? Madison? Madeline. Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, she, like you pointed mm-hmm. out, you know, she just wants to be one of the cool kids, you know, and whatever, Madison, yeah. Uh, however she can align herself with this structure, with this system of power, even though it's at the cost of, of another woman. And you're right, they had the the video, but they thought it was funny, you know, and that is so telling because we still, 
we, I was reading a whole uh, article today about, I don't, I can't remember her name, the little girl who danced in all the Missy Elliott videos. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Allison Stoner. Allison Stoner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She, I was reading this article, uh, from her and it also had the comments from a child psychiatrist about like surviving child stardom Mm -hmm. and how a lot of these women um, and that have these seeming breakdowns in public and how we're like, look, she's such a train wreck and we all love it. And we think it's great. And we spread these videos around of, you know, Britney Spears shaving her head and how hilarious is this and Amanda Bynes and, you know, on and on. I mean, there are so many women that, you know, have this and we, people think it's funny. And this was such a big part, but like I, when I was coming up, this is such like a millennial movie in a way, like yeah. you were saying with the bots, like there's such like this specific mm-hmm. touchstones of stuff that I like hit me really like with this like sense of recognition of like of of the ways that we you know demonize women and the ways that we find things funny that are horrifically tragic for uh the person at the center of it um you know because it obviously happens to men and women uh you know and a lot of these you know young men like the kid 90 documentary that Soleil moon fry just put out which i've not yet seen but there are several it's amazing yeah, I I, yeah. I want to watch it. I'm I'm kind of afraid it's going to give me like really bad nostalgic like existential depression. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it definitely does. But at the same time, you realize with uh, a lot of these young stars that have like quote unquote fallen from fame that we we really failed them as a society by taking their moments of vulnerability and using it to sell magazines um, and cr- criticizing them for their mental. Mental health uh, breaks and the pressure that we put on them to perform at such a young age. Um, we and the, the thing that we see trending for all of this is that with young women, when they become uh, young child stars really early, they rise to stardom, and then we we work them to death and we criticize their weight, who they're dating, if they're a virgin, if they're too skinny, if they're too fat, and wonder what. And then we we thrive when we see them fail um, because we, it sells more magazines. We want them to feel just as low as we feel. um, Yeah. Because they, they had too much too young. Yeah. Yeah. That was part of that article. Women can't, they can't become promising adult women because they're going to have to have a mental breakdown. Right. Yeah. Because of the conditions that they're like living under and that you, you cannot understand it unless you're there and we're all just looking from the outside in. And again, it's heartbreaking and like Hollywood has to figure that out. The music industry has to figure that out. Like how, you know, how to get more support, uh, you know, and again, it's gross because so many adults come in and they're making decisions. Take advantage of them. Yeah. And they're not family members. They don't care about this person really. You know, they care about their bank account. in some cases they are their family members. Like, yeah. That's yeah, absolutely too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just it's horrifying. So um, you know, this this movie just does a good job of kind of uh I think critiquing this overall experience, you know, yeah. that women have that there are so many aspects of culture that are against you (laughs) it's a very you know it's such a hard uphill battle um and women participate in it and you know and lots of good men quote unquote participate in it and uh you know it is a it is a hashtag yes all men like you have to live your life assuming that every guy you meet wants something from you is a monster like (laughs) in hiding you know 
um, is is a predator. So, and that's kind of, again, that gets to like the, the little red riding hood conversation that we've been talking about of like, you know, the wolf being like a predatory man and that there, you cannot trust, you know, as, as, as like a, a young promising young woman, you know, going through the world. Uh, if you trust too much, it is going to bite you, you know, eventually. And so I like that, again, this connects. Last week, we talked about hard candy. So, Joe, you brought up the question. I'm glad I remembered this. <laughs> you brought up the question of whether in the hands of, like, a female director and writer, if, like, how like the, like how hard candy, what it might look like. Because, again, mm. that film, although it does end with a murder, she does force him to, to kill himself. But, you know, it's at her, it's her will. Um you know, she psychologically tortures him first. So this has a lot in common, I think, with that. I She comes in kind of the same way Carrie Mulligan's character does, where she's unassuming. They think they have the upper hand. This is Haley, uh, the character mm-hmm. in Hard Candy. Um, have you seen Hard Candy, Ashley? No, I can't okay. believe I haven't seen it because I was just listening to your guys' episode. And I'm like, this is the kind of movie I would love, but I haven't. Yeah, I, I yeah. think you would enjoy it. I, I, I highly recommend it. But um, totally. Anyway, so I'm wondering for you, Joe, did you did you feel like, you know, like a kinship there between the films? Like, did it did that answer your question that you think, you know, in a woman's hands or does it matter? You know, when we're talking about these things, does it matter if a man directs or a woman directs or writes or whatever? You know, what what might have been different about Hard Candy, I guess, if it had been written and directed by a woman? Sure. So. So again, for, for continuity purposes, I saw promising young woman before I saw hard candy for the first time. Um, and it's hard, like after, after you see that it's hard to like, and also like culturally knowing what kind of hard candy is about, it's, it's hard to, you know, separate the two, but, you know, in thinking about that now about the stories, it's like, I want, I was expecting promising young woman to be a hard candy to be like bloody and 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 in that way and it wasn't it was it was um characteristically feminine which in that way that it was like the soft sell right you know that that it was softer in its message like the move promising a woman is bloodless like you really don't see any blood there is a violent like a violent murder that is uh, that takes place, but like, there is no, like, you don't see anything there, like any, like blood specifically. And I was expecting, you know, that's what I was expecting. I was expecting testicles to be removed surgically and (laughs) and all this stuff. That's the revenge fantasy we all have. Exactly. (laughs) And, and I think that in, I think that they're very, they're two very different films and it would be interesting to see um, a film like a hard candy, like that is, that is out for blood from a, from like a, from a woman's lens, from a female lens. But I thought that it was, I thought that each of them stood like on their own and there was, she, there was more that was trying to be said with Promising Young Woman. And there, I think it was ultimately, I mean, I thought it was more successful than like, I mean, that remains to be seen because it just came out last year, but it was more successful, um, I guess, you know, critically than Hard Candy was because well, of, yeah, there's divisiveness. Like, yeah. I mean, but so, so yeah. And it, and it also like, it did not center 
it, it didn't center the man. Like promising a woman didn't center men at all. It centered it entirely from Cassie's point of view and kind of her crusade to get justice for Nina and how that act of violence also like affected her because that's the other thing that I like, you know, one of the things that we don't talk about when it comes to how, when it comes to us, uh, gender-based violence and sexual assault is that we don't talk about how it affects the people around the person who is um, the person who's directly affected. And like, you know, again, like that is important because the, the person who's directly affected, you know, has had all of in has had like, you know, their entire life upended. But in this situation, it's like, no, she, she didn't have this, but now she lives with this. She forever is like, has survivor's guilt, but also lives with the assumption that like all the men are, um, all the men are wolves. Right. And so the only way to, you know, move is to, you know, become like them. But to go back to your original question, I am, I think I still want to see that movie. I still want to see a revenge, a like true bloody romp revenge film (laughs) from like written by a woman written by, uh, in that lens to see what it could say. Um, and like what, I mean, it's similar, but like, it's really apples and oranges, like thinking about it more now. I will say I do like that in both of these movies, um, you know, the the events are alluded to. So we know what happens to Nina. We hear audio, but we don't see it. And I thought that was actually really great. And Hard Candy's kind of the same way. The guy participated in the murder of this girl. He was there. He was taking photos. But those aren't the photos that they show us. They show her smiling outside the coffee shop. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so there isn't, like, there's not a... Um, a showing of the assault. Like we don't need that demonstrated for us that I think is actually very interesting because you'd assume in a film directed and written by a man that there is sort there is that glorifying quote unquote of that violence by showing it, you know, mm-hmm. by like, Oh, here I found a video of the assault. Now we're going to watch it again, especially then in 2005, you know, with like, we love torture porn, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know? And uh, so that, that the fact that that's not shown, I think is actually very interesting in hard candy and also in promising young woman, we hear the audio and it's awful, but it's also mostly the guys laughing and talking and, Oh, don't turn the camera away from me and don't show my face and blah, blah, blah. But they never really show it. And I, I think that's actually very interesting um, to, you know, when you talk about like centering you know, like how the, how the story plays out. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I just, I was kind of grateful for that. Cause when they said they had the video, I was like, like uh, do we need, are we going to see this? <laughs> um, yeah. But I think um, at the end, when they force you to watch two and a half minutes of a suffocation of her, that that is where you get that. Like you're being forced to watch the event. Like this was not an accident. This was intentional. This was not, there's nothing in court. If it ever comes up that can say that this was an accident. Um, you, you're, you're really there and they zoom in on it. And they, you hear her, is, her last breaths. Yeah. Like it's very real and raw. You're um, frozen think, to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is true. Yeah, yeah. That final couple of minutes is very intense uh, for her, um, for um, Cassie's character. That's true. Um, And again, I mean, I guess that just demonstrates how I separate out, like, 
you know, that kind of violence versus like showing a video of like a rape. <laughs> like yeah. that's, you know, it's, um, yeah. Fucked up. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, just, you know, just to be honest, like the, you know, the way, the way that I see violence play out, but you're right. That it is. And it is a very intense, like I was just sitting there like, Ooh, wow, this is, <laughs> this like, is hard. Cause you just going there. <laughs> yeah. And you want her to like break free. You want something to happen, you know? Cause it doesn't um, cut away. That's the other thing too. Yeah. Like the entire time it doesn't cut away. It's this one really long, like excruciating shot of him. Yeah. And he, like makes the choice he makes the choice and he is like he is pleading like that's the other thing too like chris lowell's chris lowell's uh, like um and and that's the other thing is like the entire time he's like i'm a nice guy like i really don't begrudgingly is like i don't want to spend anything with the stripper like you know i'm blah 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 and then and then as like it keeps going and then you see that like you know oh he was a nice but like he made the choice like and who knows if she would have gone through with it you know what i mean like who knows and and i thought that was do you guys think that she had the intention to kill him and everyone in that cabin i don't think she just wanted to carve the name so he would like forever have that on him that's what i thought she was going to do i didn't i didn't know she was going to kill anybody I don't know if she, I don't know if she would have even gone through with that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, so I mean, all of that to say earlier is in that the film, maybe, but after yeah. she sees the video, I mean, there's like a whole transformation, you mm-hmm. know, because like yeah. halfway through the film, she thinks she's going to be okay. She's she with Ryan. She can finally, move on. She found a good guy that she can. Yeah, try. yeah, yeah. That her life is going to be okay. She's on the right <laughs> path, and then you know, Madison showing up with the proof with the video that she's never seen before. I'm assuming that seems to be what no. the story is. So this yeah. is the first time she's watched this, and to see the real thing, I think that just lit this like bonfire of vengeance. Um, yeah. Again, I don't well, know. If like, she, was she really kill can't it. trust anybody because right. Seeing, uh, what's the, um, boyfriend's name? Ryan. Yeah. Ryan. Seeing him there. In and it, she was like, well, how can I move on with my life? And the one time that I try to, it comes, it just proves me wrong. Right. Um, so she's like, okay, well, if this is my life, I'm just going to go full send and, and commit to a life of revenge. Yeah. And it, it doesn't kinda, end up being very long life after that, but she knows that. Right. She's like, okay, I surrender. I'm not going to win. But I mm-hmm. will, I will have the last word. Yeah, yeah. There's a very like, um, yeah, just that snap, you know, mm-hmm. where she's just like, "Yep, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do what it takes." Again, I'm not sure if murder was the goal. Um, I think she was gonna, you know, carve Nina into him a lot, maybe, <laughs> and, <laughs> and then let him go and explain that to the people in his life, you know, like, you know, but she had the video she had other things to you know she could have shown it's like she could have continued to make his life miserable while he was alive and maybe that would have been better you know because that's her life for the last however many years we don't get a real good sense but i imagine you know there's six to eight years since she left school yeah because she turns 30 Um, right yeah she turns 30 um which like amazing performance also by jennifer coolidge as her mother (laughs) I love her. Like yeah. we need more, yeah. we need more Jennifer Coolidge as a mother. Cause I don't think yeah. like, I don't, well, like as like, I mean, not like she was Stifler's mom, but like, you know, we need her as like a concerned mother. 
<laughs> yeah, her Molly Shannon popping up. It was yeah. it was cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. They really gave them. Um, um, they really gave them um, a moment for like comedians, comedic actors and actresses to shine in this film. Right. I mean, they, yeah. I mean, like Molly Shannon, like she was basically she she's played that character before. I mean, because she was like a really deep character on Other People um, with. Uh, uh, Jesse, whatever his name is, the one who's married to Kirsten Dunst. Um, but, but yeah, like it was so good. And, and like, I, I can't stop thinking about the end, like that, that, like yeah. the violence. Cause like when he, when he like, he stays there, you know, the entire night with the body, like he's just catatonic. Um, and then when Max Greenfield comes in, like immediately it became like, okay, we're going to have to. <laughs> he says like, this is not your fault. Yeah. Right. He, it was immediately, this is not your fault. It was the, it was the lies that like, it's the lies that those men tell themselves, right? Like, this is not your fault. She came here to do this. She made you do this. Yeah. Then the other, and then the only answer is to, you know, cut her up and burn her body. Yeah. You know, I think it's really interesting when they're, um, uh, when, he's like chained to the bed and thinks that she's just a stripper there to give him a private uh, dance, quote unquote. And he's like, I don't want to do anything. I'm very committed to my fiance. I'm a nice guy. I'm innocent, blah, blah, blah. But then when his best friend comes in the next morning, assuming that he spent the night with the stripper, he, know, he, he assumes like immediately, no questions asked that he slept with the stripper. So is he really that guy or is he that guy to the public, but not with his friends mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. all of his sins are, are, are fist bumped <laughs> right absolutely um, yeah so it's like yeah. this duality there um and operating I, in that culture but i kind of want to talk a little bit about the lawyer scene because he's another another man a part of the system who gets bonuses for intimidating the victims um and he's the only one that admits his part in this system and right. asks for forgiveness. And she ultimately does say, I forgive you. Um, and also utilizes him because she can trust him at this point to help get bring justice if she doesn't make it out. Um, so what are your guys' thoughts on that one? Um, I mean, Alfred Molina yeah. in an uncredited performance. Amazing. Um, just like the one person who I think is like you least expect it from. Right. Right. Like she didn't get it from any of the women. She didn't get it from Connie Britton. She didn't get it from Alison Brie. Um, Alison Brie to a certain extent. Right. Um, I have a feeling that she kept that phone. <laughs> um, first of all, the, the, like the idea that like I save all my old phones is ludicrous. Like <laughs> I, I, I don't care who you are, but like, I think she said that mainly because she kept that as like, collateral do you know what i mean like she has this her th- leverage th- she has a leverage she has something in should she ever need it yeah and she ever need social it? climbing purposes it couldn't even it doesn't even have to be for justice like she could right. just use it if she needs a favor from him in the yeah. future um so who knows i'd like to think that she kept it out of a guilty conscience but does she really yeah but she only gave it up when she thought that she was set up to be assaulted yeah, right. she needed to know if it happened or not. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And so with like the lawyer, Jordan, um, and all of that stuff, I think that's where we see her. That's where we see her start to like, let her guard down because it's like, Oh, forgiveness is possible. Repent. Um, not even remorse. Remorse is possible from this. What am I doing with my life? And, um, and that was really intense. And like the, I just love it. He's like waiting for her and he's like, I'm ready. Like, he's like, just, and, I, I'm ready. Get, you can yeah. take me out. I give you permission. Oh gosh. Such a yeah, powerful he scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I was, it was very, very powerful and very, you know, again, it's like, <sighs> there has to be a breaking point, you know, for some men who are part of this system, you know, like, Right. <laughs> like you hope. And so of course they, they put that a little bit in there, um, which I think is nice because then she does have at least one man that she can count on and who obviously helps enact the final, you know, her final revenge, uh, especially because, oh, you know, we all, we're all going along too. We like Ryan. He seems great. They're cute. They got their montage scene, eating popcorn and laughing and, you know, being adorable. Satisfy Joe's rom-com urges right. and needs. <laughs> exactly. You know, so it's like, we all like him. And then you're like, fuck, dude, you too. God damn it. Fuck. So. Yes, well, all men. <laughs> right. But like, yes, and I actually have the hashtag. Yes, all men. Yeah. <laughs> but like, it's here's just, the thing about the, 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 the part that's the knife, right? Like the part where, cause it's, it, it would have been one thing if Ryan was like part of the assault, like actually assaulted Nina. Right. It's right. another thing entirely. And even more of a deception in Cassie's eyes is the fact that he was there in the room, witnessed it. And on the, what does the audio say? He's like, Hey dude, that's so fucked up. You know, like, what do you like? He's saying that, but doesn't stop it. And he's like right. laughs and he just lets it happen because of his fear and his frailty in that way. And then when confronted with it, he's like, what do you want? Like, you know, again, like, what do you want from me? And, and of course, like he, he doesn't associate with Al in the same way, or like he's friends with him, but like, you know, like he, 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 you can tell that he kind of keeps him at an arm's length. They're not really that close because obviously she's never met him. You know, she's never met, if they were close, she would have met Al and all this, all these other bastards. But so like where it comes, where his particular storyline and why I think like Bull Burnham should have received uh, the best supporting Oscar nomination is because like his turn is really interesting and it's more of a betrayal for not as far as like not being the actual person who you know was a what he was a part of it but he wasn't but that makes it worse yeah well it messes with the audience expectations as well Mm -hmm. it reinforces Mm -hmm. the whole concept of the whole film of the complicity that allows this to happen you know from the the beginning yeah, everybody's culpable from the men at the beginning who are like, you know, go for it, man. Like, you know, like that drunk girl, just don't let her throw up on you, you know, but who mm-hmm. cares otherwise, you know, to this, 
you know, guy who we're all on his side too. We're all there like, yeah, maybe everything's going to be fine. And this was a horrible thing. And there's no such thing as justice. And, you know, you just got to make the best of your life and live in her memory and, you know, get your life back on track in her honor. And then to be so again, derailed, like, like completely blindsided and derailed. It's just really heartbreaking for her. You just feel that. And then again, as, as the audience, our expectations are also like, well, fuck. (laughs) <laughs> who can you trust um so real real quick uh just to um before before we wrap up i did want to have a conversation about the um soundtrack because i do find it very fascinating uh especially the choices of like there's the spice girls are on this soundtrack uh britney spears paris hilton i'm you know um there's a cover of it's raining man by the weather girls. Uh, so yeah. I just think that it's all very poppy bubble gum. Yeah. But more, <laughs> but even more interesting for people my age, like especially with the spice girls, Britney Spears, Paris Hilton, like those women for a long time taught women how to be like taught young girls, how to be girls, how to be women. Uh, yeah, so to absolutely. have their, to have their music on this soundtrack. And then also to think about like, I mean, I know it's not Britney Spears actually singing. It's a cover of toxic, uh, a, um, an orchestral, but still yeah. her presence is there. And when you think the about icon. like, you know, the way she was treated by the media, the way Paris Hilton was treated, you know, the spice girls over the years, you know, there's always, you know, there's been drama back and forth mm-hmm. and, um, you know, so just to think about the, you know, the weather girls and it's raining men, like there's, you know, stuff there. Uh, I just, I thought it was very, very fascinating. I'm like, this is very, very intentional. And Fennel also was like the executive soundtrack producer or whatever. So she chose a lot of these as well. So not only did she write the movie, direct the movie, but she also chose a soundtrack to tell this story, you know, um, in another way, you know, as part of the music. Yeah. So uh, let's chat about that a little bit, Joe, because you had sent me a message. It was so funny. I was just like, oh my gosh, I already have notes on this. This is great. Um, what what were you thinking in terms of the soundtrack? So, <laughs> and I know that they probably, at the time of filming Promising Young Woman, they probably, this did not factor into it, but like, again, you who knows what's going on and what kind of conversation people have, but like Paris Hilton, there was a documentary released on YouTube, This is Paris in 2020 in September, that kind of goes into Paris Hilton and also like she becomes, she publicly comes um, comes out about the fact of like the, uh, this like physical, verbal, of like psychological abuse that she experienced while she was, I think, institutionalized or at a boarding school or something. Like mm-hmm. she experienced this abuse and you know, like how her family turned her back on her and all this stuff. And so like to see knowing that and then having like promising young woman come out and then her, <laughs> her music, <laughs> which like, you know, unless you are a fan of that time, you know, of pop music of that time, or you're from a particular generation, like you don't really know Paris Hilton as a, <laughs> um as a music artist as a musical artist <laughs> as a musical artist and so to have like her music play like this the romantic montage of the film <laughs> where they're like singing and dancing in a pharmacy and also Bo Burnham like Bo Burnham singing Paris Hilton I didn't know that I needed to see that but I did because it was <laughs> it was just like perfect you know I'm I'm a fan of Bo's comedy and so like to see him do do that i was like oh my god this is this is so great and then all of the stuff that subsequently follows that and you think like okay 
shit's going to really go down if they're really painting this with a, such a broad brush. But to like, kind it's of too early on for everybody to be happy already. Like, I know <laughs> this is what's going to happen and how is this all going to get fucked up. And, mm-hmm. but like to have those connections, like what you've, what we've been saying the whole episode about like, you know, Britney Spears about how we treated women at that time and in specifically public figures, celebrities and the toxic culture around that. And even to extent to this day, um, even though like, there are more people pushing back against the machines that are, you know, against those machines that are trying to grind them up. But in this way, it's like those, you know, media, popular media, the public, like they ate, they ate those women up and spit them out and then, and, and told them to be grateful that they were famous and that they were rich. And when in actuality, you know, that it's, you know, those things were terrible. So to have that, to have her music have such a prominent plate, prominent placement, um, same thing with toxic, same thing with, um, the like orchestral version of toxic, which like, yeah, that's totally a thing. Like (laughs) it's totally a thing. And I didn't want it to land as much as as hard as it did, but like it was such a great moment to use that. Um, and like, oh, the opening it's so song, sinister. so it's sinister. Such a sinister, like, yeah. Um, the remix of uh, <laughs> the remix of um, Charlie XCX's "Boys." um in the beginning because also like with like men gyrating (laughs) i know with like with like men average dudes just like gyrating in a club wearing khakis and and like their work shirts and ties but also because like it highlighted the aspects of the original track where it sounds like a video game (laughs) and Mm -hmm. so like you're playing like it's like that kind of like you know because like i was busy thinking about boys and it's like like you like you get coins and so to see like the game aspect of it and yeah it's just it was it was really really well done the the curated moments for um of the for the music to to hit in, in the ways that it did Yeah, no, I think it was very purposeful. And the last song is called Last Laugh, which was just great, you know? So you have, like, this, again, she's getting that final say, you know, he's arrested, there's no, you know, we, at least my hope is that, yes, this guy's going to prison, blah, blah, you know, there's not, there's not a way out for him. And then for the soundtrack to kick in, you know. But who knows? I have the last laugh. (laughs) Right. Who knows? I'm choosing. I want to believe that, you know, there should be enough evidence there. Um, I do really you know. like that in that <laughs> in that sequence, you see the best friend running away. Run. Um, and yeah. what we don't get to see are his victims and the tangential effects of what he's done, because, you know, he probably has as well. If his best friend has several offenses against him that they got away with, they're probably, you know, enabling each other. Um, so he gets away to continue doing whatever without getting in trouble. And that's mm-hmm. just a reminder that there are people who get away with this all the time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't just end there. Right. Well, yeah. And again, that's kind of part of my fantasy is that obviously that guy's testimony, like he's going to turn on them, 
you know, and be like, yeah, I helped, but I didn't do it, you know? Um, and that becomes like that, you know, the Adnan Syed case where the guy is like, oh, I helped, you know, murder or I helped bury her bury. body yeah. and he got up. He didn't get any time. Like he just went on to live the rest of his life, even though he's saying he participated in. Accomplice after the fact. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, so it's like, yeah, that guy is a piece of garbage as well because he's encouraging. He, like he, he was there. To inc- like he was there at the beginning when the events happened that kick off this yeah. whole revenge fantasy, you know, the whole thing for Cassie, and he's there at the end, you know, to see the the like the 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 final consequences of it. So yeah. I, I part of me hopes that like they'll catch him and they'll use him as state's evidence, and you know, but you're right, he probably most likely would just get off with complicity or with mm-hmm. uh, after the fact. Ugh. <laughs> There's a, nobody ever holds any of these people accountable except for Cassie. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then in the very end, and again, and that took her being murdered, you know, she had mm-hmm. to be murdered to put herself in the situation where that was a possibility. Mm-hmm. And she thought about it enough to set it up in case she didn't survive. Uh, so yeah, it's, huh. Mm. <laughs> there's so much to what? keep talking about in this film. i want to i mean yeah. like i wish i had the i wish i was a good enough planner to be like exact revenge on all my enemies after my death um <laughs> i mean it wouldn't be satisfying because it's like i'd want to know that it i want to know that it happened but yeah. like you know i i <laughs> this is gonna sound really sick but i love in movies where you get like um you have the montage of like settling all debts at the same time, like in the Godfather during the christening where everyone's die, everyone gets killed and it's like, we're going to settle all debts now. And like, I love those types of things because it's like, it's, it puts a button on it. (laughs) It it, like, it's a finite ending to something. Um, but like, yeah, I wish I was a, I wish I was even a halfway decent enough planner to, you know, have figured all that stuff out. (laughs) <laughs> and then at the end at the end the last thing you say is like love cassie and nina and right. and like you realize that like this didn't happen to her this happened to her friend and that's how much they loved each other right. um, that's how much she loved her yeah and that they knew each other since childhood she talked mm-hmm. about like no at four you know they knew each other their whole life so yeah like what is the cost you know when some when this horrible thing happens and you know, you're left there to be the lone witness, uh, you know, for your friend's legacy. Uh, one quick thing that I read that I thought was interesting is, you know, in the book she had where she was Xing things off is that some of the pen marks were red. Um, and there were quite a lot of them. It was like the blue pen and also the red pen. Um, I get, there was like, they deleted a scene where she has like a bruise because it's, those are the men who get violent with her. Um, oh. And I think that would have been actually very interesting to show because most the, the guys that she shows, and again, I'm not, you know, there might be a, uh, a, a reason, you know, for it, but the guys that they show her with kind of in the end are sort are weak, you know, they all become kind of, you know, like, Oh, you know, get out of my house. I, you know, like they're, they don't, um, they don't try to do anything. They don't try to stop her or they don't try to hurt her. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting that they cut that out. Cause I would think that would be, that would have added a certain layer to what she was doing a lot more uh, danger, 
you know? Yeah. Uh, so maybe she just, maybe either they didn't want to show that too early. They wanted to kind of wait and give that, mm. that really violent scene to Al at the end. Uh, but I thought that was interesting because I wondered when I first saw it, I was like, oh, some of these marks are red. Like, are those guys dead? Maybe yeah. there will be murder. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but they said, that, no, these were all the guys who got violent with her when she revealed the, uh, the, the trick or how, you know, whatever we want to call it, uh, that she's actually sober. The reveal, the gag, the stunt, the gag, <laughs> the gag, the, the stunt, <laughs> the goop. <laughs> um, but anyways, I thought that was something that they, you know, it would have been interesting to see how that would have fit in the narrative, you know, of having these conversations of like some of these guys just kind of take it and she leaves them with, you know, these final thoughts of, you know, you're a piece of garbage and, so have a good night. Yeah. <laughs> I'm leaving now, you know. Um, but to know that some of them were were violent, I, it would have added another layer of conversation that maybe just wasn't necessary with the way the film ends. Um, mm-hmm. But I think I, don't know. I think I like that it's really poignant that the first time that she tried decides to get violent, it goes wrong. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, well, with her perpetrating the violence, definitely. Mm-hmm. But to think about the men getting violent with her when she's like, oh, I'm actually not drunk, <laughs> yeah. you know, and you're garbage. So <laughs> anyways, wow, this movie was very, I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I'm going to try to have to, I rented it and I think I still have like, you know, whatever it is, like 23 hours left on the rental. I'll have to try to watch <laughs> it again before um, before it's, before I have to rent it again. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was, it was very moving, very, uh very, very lots of things. I'm going to be thinking mm-hmm. about it for a while. <laughs> and and by the time this airs, uh, we will know whether or not it won Best Picture. Um, this is true. It, that's that's a lot. We can because, update. <laughs> yeah, we can, up, we can update this. Academy Award winning, possibly. <laughs> Academy um, Award winning, promising young cool. women. I looked yeah, at it would the... Be cool. uh, yeah. I looked at the nominations for original screenplay and it's, it's stacked <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. Um, especially cause I just watched Minari and like, you know, a 24 like can mainline everything into my body, but <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it, for the kind of shit year that it was in terms of entertainment and all of that stuff, it was a pretty, it was a pretty decent year as far as like original work. So, okay. Well, we'll see what happens. Uh, yeah. So real quick before we go, cause we should have talked about this in the beginning of the show, but Ashley, you have your own podcast now. Because yeah. it's against the law not to. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> everybody can have a podcast and everybody should a have a podcast. Uh, um, so, yeah, talk about it with us. Tell us about it. So, uh, me and my roommate, Victoria, um, started, we joined forces in co-hosting a podcast called Some Dumb Chicks. And it's... Uh, <laughs> Basically, our take on how uh, whenever we as females have experienced like voicing our opinions or some insight on like, you know, a popular issue or topic, we get a lot of hate from cishet white males and call us dumb bitches often. Um, so we're not dumb. We're taking that back. Um, we're, we're reclaiming the turf <laughs> of being called dumb bitches, but we weren't sure if um, dumb bitches would go over well with like trying to get ad sponsors and whatnot. <laughs> Um, so we're some dumb chicks. Um, and I love that we got to talk a little bit about, I, I'm sure you sensed that I was getting on my soapbox about 
um, tragic young Hollywood stars and how we felt that we sexualized them and then watched them fall from grace. We did a series um, ongoing still of young Hollywood and we did one on Britney Spears, Amanda Bynes, Britney Murphy. Um, the rest will continue. Um, so definitely check us out. We're available wherever you are listening to this currently. Um, and on Instagram at some dumb chicks podcast everywhere else, I think is just some dumb chicks. Um, no spaces. Awesome. Well, we'll link all that to uh, yeah. in our in our show notes, of course, so people can come find you. Um, hopefully, they'll be by you guys to get get my voice out there a little bit more often because you were my first podcast experience all those years ago. Yay! Um, so yeah, I have you guys to thank for it, and you've been excellent uh, mentors and role models through all of this. I really oh. appreciate you guys always supporting me. And uh, um, we appreciate all your support. Yeah, you, you're, you, we adore you. You know that. And hopefully there'll be podcast cons and we can go together and we'll have, you know, tables right next to each other. Yeah, <laughs> we need to start a network. So so let's get yeah. it. Yeah. Where's, where's Fright School? He's school. next to some dumb chicks. <laughs> and Joe will be at six different booths for this. Yes, <laughs> I'll be everywhere. <laughs> Joe is a network. All him. Yeah, all exactly. Own. Uh, oh my god it's chaos magic right. wanda <laughs> i'm making <laughs> i've made this made this for myself um you manifested this i manifested uh, this podcast manifested. <laughs> all righty well we thank you so much uh for joining us today to talk about uh this uh stirring film dear Excellent. listener hopefully you've seen it and if not uh well we spoiled it so go watch it anyways because it's still it's <laughs> worth it uh joe ashley have good nights sleep well (laughs) thank you fright school is produced by joshua napier and joe farron our intro was edited by davy boy productions our logo was designed by Jamie Channel Guzman. Episodes are edited and engineered by Joe Farron. Fright School is produced in terrifyingly beautiful San Diego, California. listening to the Geekscape Network.